and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode with an incredible intentional performer. And we're going to get to him in a second. But he is also somebody who knows how to shift his mind. And we say shift your mind because that is the book that I recently wrote and it came out in October. It is available everywhere that books are sold, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, any independent bookstore that you may frequent or visit should have it online as well. And you can go over to strongskills.co slash book. That's strongskills.co slash book. And you can also find out how to purchase the book on our website over there. And as I mentioned, today's guest is somebody who really knows how to shift his mind. He is an intentional performer and his name is Matt Burke. And Matt played in the NFL for a number of years. He came into the NFL as a sixth round pick after going to Harvard for undergrad. And he's going to share how he ended up at Harvard and what that experience was like. And look, you won't find too many Harvard guys playing professional sports. And Matt will share how Harvard helped shape him for the pros and how he ended up there. When he did get to the NFL, he, he thrived. He was a six-round pick, as I mentioned, but he ended up uh, changing positions and moving to the center position on the offensive line where he was in charge of hiking the ball. It's really a, an important and interesting role, and we talked about how he needs to be able to think and, and read what the defense is doing while also be aggressive and, and take, take it to the defense and really make sure that he's moving forward and helping his team be successful. He's, he's going to talk about humble preparation in this conversation and how valuable that was to his career and how he really leveraged preparation and also how important it is to not get so caught up on failures and mistakes because his position was one that only got recognized if you made a mistake. And so Matt's going to talk about how important preparation was and how important his mindset for performance was. And he really is someone who shifts his mind. As far as accolades go, if you're familiar with the NFL, you're, you may be familiar with Matt's career. He played for the Baltimore Ravens and, and won a Super Bowl with them. He also played for the Minnesota Vikings for a number of years, which was his hometown football team. And he excelled at the position. He was a two-time All-Pro, which means that he was the best player at that position. And then a six-time Pro Bowl selection. And as I mentioned, he won a Super Bowl with the Baltimore 
Ravens. So this conversation is going to get into leadership, going to get into mindset, going to get into what it takes to be a Super Bowl champion and teamwork and, and what that looks like. So I know you're going to love this conversation with Matt. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Matt Burke. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We were connected by Rob Lively, who is just a, a badass of a human being, but is also uh, an amazing leader and somebody who I think thinks deeply about humans and, and how to develop people and uh, just really enjoyed getting to know him and uh, you know, honored to chat with someone like, like Rob. Um, but he said, hey, I think you'd enjoy chatting with Matt. So here we are. And you're someone I'm familiar with from afar, just being a sports fan and following your career. Um, but I'm intrigued to talk with you today because I think your message and what you care about goes beyond football. And, and that's usually what intrigues me about people. What I'd love to start with is to get a sense of your journey uh, growing up, what life was like for you as a kid. Uh, and then I'm sure we'll talk plenty of football and leadership and business and all that good stuff. But let us know who you are and sort of how you came to be you. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, Matt Burke grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, pretty kind of, I guess I would say, regular, you know, middle class upbringing. Um, you know, it was uh, sports has obviously always played a huge part of my life. I, I wasn't any good at them. So that's why I became a lineman. Um, but, you know, I kind of had that, that, that Norman Rockwell childhood where, you know, you just, you just went outside and just played, you know, just tons of kids in the neighborhood. You'd run around, everybody kind of watched out for everybody else. And when the streetlights came on, you went home. And so very fortunate to, uh, to grow up in a time and, and an area like that. And um, but like I said, I just always loved sports. You know, school came pretty, pretty easy to me, but didn't like it, but I always loved sports. And played everything growing up except football. Um, and then uh, in high school, decided to give football a try and sort of discovered that uh, God gave me this talent to get in people's way and, and hold on to them. And uh, so that, that translated well to play an offensive line. And, you know, someone who, who never really had much success athletically, all of a sudden it was kind of like, wow, I, I sort of found my, my knack, my gift, you know, and, and, it, and it happened pretty quickly. Um, just played high school football and it was, it was awesome and never thought I'd play in college. Um, and at the end of my senior season, uh, the football coach said, Hey, there's some, there's some colleges. Now keep in mind, this is 1993, 1994, you know, pre-internet and all that stuff. And my coach said, Hey, there's some colleges that want to talk to you about playing football. And I said, no, I'm actually, I'm actually good. I'm all set. I've, I got accepted early to a physical therapy program at uh, Marquette University, I was going to become a physical therapist, which is a way to kind of stay involved in sports, right? He said, well, some of these colleges are like the service academies and the Ivy League schools. And I thought, wow, I said, I, I never thought, I never saw myself going to a school like that. But I thought, geez, if I could play football and go to a school like that, that'd be, that'd be a pretty good deal. And so I ended up at, at Harvard University, uh, played football there, obviously not a, not known for its, uh, for producing NFL football players. So Thought that I'd go there and play ball and, and get a degree and, and go work on Wall Street. And then uh, about halfway through my senior season, some NFL scouts started coming around. And I just thought, are you serious? Like, I watch NFL football. That doesn't look like the football that I'm playing. And so I just asked one of the scouts point blank one day. I said, do you really think I got a chance to play in the NFL? And he said, yeah, I think you do. And when he said that, one, it was, it was a great confidence boost. But two, I said, okay, you know, I'm going to sort of – just put everything else on hold and just hyper focus on this one thing. And, and that kind of speaks to, I think one of my, 
one of the ways I live my life is, uh, you know, you, you, you can't control the result, right? Um, but you can control your effort, I mean, your, your input. And I said, I'm just going to give this everything I have and just exhaust this. And so I probably won't make it, but that's okay. So when, I'm, when I walk away, I can say, hey, I gave it my best shot and, and move on with no regrets. And ended up being drafted by my hometown team, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, which was unreal. And uh, my rookie year, the Minnesota Vikings went 15 and one and, and was at that time, the most prolific offense in the history of the NFL. And so that was, that was an amazing ride to be on. Uh, we didn't win the Super Bowl, unfortunately, but what I'm getting at is it was the perfect situation for me because they didn't need me to play right away. You know, I, they basically drafted me and said, you're going to be able to sit the bench for a year or two. And, and I really needed that as a, as a player. I mean, right. I was used to playing against Princeton and Yale. No offense to those guys, but the NFL is, it's, they say, well, the NFL, it's a step up from college. Well, from the Ivy League, it's about five steps up. And uh, so it was just a perfect situation for me to be in. One, being able to ride the bench and learn. And then number two, I think being able to be at home, you know, with my support system uh, was, was great because <laughs> what a lot of people don't realize is, it's really hard to play in the NFL. There's some great things about it, but, but it's a lot of hard work and there's a lot of bad days, especially when you're a, when, when you're a rookie coming in, uh, who's, who's really not equipped to, to play at that level. So, uh, to kind of fast forward to the end, I, I ended up lasting 15 years in the NFL, had a career that, uh, you know, I never thought possible and, um, and ended up winning a, winning a Super Bowl in my last game with the Baltimore Ravens in, in 2013. So, it's been retired for seven years now, and there's still a part of me that really can't believe that uh, that it happened. And you know, certainly, I'm grateful for for everything I was able to experience. And and you know, it's, it's I mean, obviously the you know you play in the NFL, you you make a lot of money, you get to meet a lot of cool people, all that. But the biggest thing I take away from uh, from my career is, and just from playing football in general, is just the lessons that I learned. I really think that those carry over. To, to just about every aspect of life, you know, my marriage, being a father, business, um, all those things, you know, football is, is, is a great teacher and a great illustrator of, of those things. And um, you see those signs sometimes hanging up, everything I need to know about life I learned in kindergarten. Uh, I, I'm going to create a sign one day that says everything I need to know in life I learned from playing football. So, all right, you just gave us probably the quickest bio to somebody who's had quite a career that I've had on this podcast. And I, a lot of times I interrupt, but I was like, you know what, just let Matt go here and give us the summary. And we're going to go into the weeds here because it, there's, there's things that I'm really interested in, starting with childhood. So you said I wasn't a good athlete. What were the other sports that you were playing that you were not excelling at as a kid? Oh everything soccer basketball baseball I mean I was the quintessential short fat weak kid um but you know back then anybody who's involved in youth sports nowadays probably sort of feels like oh my gosh like this is intense but back then it was it was really just about playing right I mean we weren't worried about uh, there weren't too many coaches parents worried about you know developing the next division one player um there were a couple of parents who were nuts but uh, but back then, I mean, I, I knew I knew I wasn't very good and I knew I was fat and slow, but I didn't really care. You know, it was just just being out there, being out there with my buddies and trying. And, you know, I was trying to act like I was Kirby Puckett on the baseball field or, you know, whatever, just 
that was um that was like that was like enough for me and um, was matt was your weight being being overweight did that influence you as far as socially or or any way just it, being heavier yeah i mean it, it it did i mean like i said i knew i knew that i was uh that i was a heavy kid and of course you get you know you get made fun of my nickname in the neighborhood was beef um and and I, you know, I've thought about it. I don't know if it's just because you know of who I am, like it didn't really bother me that much, or was it uh, was it because you know my parents had always stressed that you know hey that's I mean I, I come from a from a uh, religious family and you know as I say that's the way God made you uh, you know that's okay that's that doesn't that doesn't define your worth as a human being probably probably a combination uh, of 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 both of those things but. Um, I said it didn't really it didn't really bother me that much. Um, did you have siblings, Matt? Did you have siblings? I have two younger brothers. We're pretty close in age, and uh, both my younger brothers were exceptional athletes. Oh. <laughs> so um, that probably helped. You know, you always hear about like the younger brother always wanting to to beat his older brother. I was the older brother who could never beat his younger brother. Um, they, they were exceptional athletes. Went on to play. Uh, uh, baseball in, in college, both of them won uh, Division One, and uh, so and that and, and all the other kids, uh, kids in the neighborhood. There was always there was always plenty of plenty of competition around. And did the three of you fight a lot? All the time. All the I'm time. One, I'm one of three boys. I'm the middle one, and we're oh. two and a, two and a half years apart. Three boys. There's it's there's something about three boys that's different than two, or different than two boys and a girl. There's a dynamic that takes place with three boys. I would agree, you know, because it's always two on one, right? So um, there's <laughs> there's always a, an unfair advantage for for somebody. The the middle brother, you've got to fight that that identity crisis, right? Being the middle child, the younger ones getting picked on the most. The oldest ones usually the bullies. So the middle and the younger one try to team up on on the older one. But yes, there's there's constant um, constant sibling rivalry, and of course, you know, three boys close together. My brothers were three years apart. Uh, lots of lots of physical altercations. Yeah, I was a middle child, and um, I'm short. I'm small, and I've been small my whole life. And my younger brother, who was two and a half years younger, was always close in age, uh, close in height to me. So we'd be on vacation somewhere, and someone would be like, "Are you guys twins?" And I'd be like, "No, watch this," and I'd throw him an elbow and just let him know that I was always a little bit stronger than him until I wasn't. Uh, and and then my older brother, I I was like you know, for me, Rudy was the guy, Rudy, like watching Rudy growing up. And, um, that was what I was like, I'm just like, all right, I'm going to go out and fight and do whatever I need to do and scrap. I was very scrappy. Um, but the dynamic, it was, you're right. It was, it always seemed like I was, I was instigating it to, and then I would try to take them both on and it wouldn't end well for me. But, um, yeah, three boys, we played sports so much and just every game you could imagine, we would just go to town. I think it also cultivated my competitive spirit. I'm curious for you, as you're talking about how you were maybe a worse athlete than them, was there something internally that, that, got developed being worse than them and, and maybe them getting recognition for being an athlete that you think impacted you from a drive standpoint or competitive standpoint? I would say, I would say absolutely. Um, you know, my, my middle brother, uh, he, he, he was the guy, right? So he had like 20 trophies in his room. One of the things I tell people, I never won one trophy growing up. The first trophy I ever held was the, was the championship we won in college, the Ivy League championship. And the next trophy the last trophy I ever had was the Lombardi Trophy. I never, I wasn't on any travel team. We never played in tournaments with trophies. Um, so I think, I think that was part of it. And I think that, that helped me develop 
uh, my work ethic. Uh, I call I call it the lonely work. Um, you know, when I grew up, we, we had alleys. And so there was probably 10 garages in our alley that had a basketball hoop hanging up from them. And I would, I, I, I'm telling you, I mean, I know I maxed out my basketball talent because there, there can't be anybody that shot more hoops than me by themselves uh, in, in the alley. I mean, I, I, I would be out there for hours. And for some reason, it just never, uh, you know, like I said, I maxed it out. I maxed out my, my, my talent. And um, so, but yeah, I think that was it. Just never being good enough and wanting to be, wanting to be good, wanting to be better, wanting to be my little brothers and, and other kids in the neighborhood. Uh, it just, um, I, I think that's definitely where it came from. And you played football in, in high school and you start to recognize this sport is something that you could maybe be good at. Did you play other sports in high school as well? I played basketball and did a little, uh, you know, track and field, a little shot and discus in, uh, in track. And, um, you know, like I said, it was, um, I just, I just, I don't know if it, I loved the competitiveness. I loved, um, I, when, when I got to high school, I discovered lifting weights and that was something that, uh, that I enjoyed, you know, maybe because I was just naturally not strong and always wanted to be the strong guy. And, um, so I, I really, you know, all of that, I think my lack of talent helped me develop a love for the process, right? And you hear everybody talk about this. I hear a lot of successful people talk about this is their love of the process, you know, finding meaning and satisfaction in that. And, um, and that's, you know, for me, that's like, that's football, you, you know, football, high school or college, you only play 10 games a year. The other 355 days you're training. And some guys look at that like, oh, it's something I got to do. I just, I just loved it. I, I got a, an immense amount of satisfaction and enjoyment from that. And, um, you know, I think that's what ended up helping me, you know, rise to the levels that I did um, in, in, in football. But the the other thing you talked about was academics coming easy to you. Give me a little bit more insight into your parents. Was academics stressed or was it something that you were just good at and you could just kind of cruise through? Um, would love some more insight into how academics were thought about in the Burke household. I, th I think it was both, you know, it was, yeah, you know, you got to do your homework before you, before you get outside and play. Um, but it just, it just came easy. You know, I mean, right. We all have different talents and skills and being able to, uh, read something or, or sit in a class and be told something one time or read it one time and then to regurgitate that. Um, that's just something that's the way my brain works. And so, you know, it's, it's like sports, right? Some people are just really good at sports. I was just kind of naturally good at school and I don't think it's necessarily right, but uh, we still heavily reward, you know, taking in information and then regurgitating it in our education system, right? Memorization of facts. Um, which maybe back in the eighties was, was a valuable skill to have nowadays when we have computers in our pockets, it's not necessarily that valuable. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I said, it was, it was just, and, 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 you know, not being good at sports and not being necessarily like, you know, cause you're not good at sports. If, if you're a kid, if you're a boy and you're not good at sports, um, and you're overweight, you know, you're not necessarily popular. Like I, I, I took a lot of pride in that because that was something that I, that I was good at. Um, probably was part of my, was my identity was, was being able to, to get good grades in school. And, um, so, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was something that, uh, that I, I leaned into a little bit or, or, or took, um, took some, some pride in because, uh, because it was kind of quote, uh, my, my talent, if you will. And, and then if that's part of your identity and then the opportunity to go to Harvard, 
what was that like for you? You know, were you comfortable telling people, Hey, I'm going to Harvard. Was it comfortable for you while you were there? And you, Hey, where do you go to school? I've always been curious about people, especially when it comes to Harvard, like how, how, how comfortable you are saying that sharing it. I'd love to just get your insight on that. Yeah. Well, the old joke goes, uh, how do you know someone went to Harvard? They'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, cause that's kind of the, it's, that's a brand of itself. Um, yeah, but yeah, certainly I was proud of it. And it was, it, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten into Harvard had I not been a, a pretty good football player as well. Um, but that's what Harvard is, right? They don't just look for great students. They look for great students who have another talent or skill as well, whether that be, you know, you're, you're great. Uh, you, you, know, you started a business or you, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're like a junior scientist or, or something like that. You know, my, my thing was football. And, and uh, so, yeah, it was something that, uh, that I was proud of and, and probably advertised uh, a little bit. But then once I got there, I was like, whoa, you know, this is, this is real. This is like, you talk about taking a step. Um, you know, no matter how smart you are, you go to a place like Harvard and uh, you can't, you can't toast, right? I mean, you're, you're in class and competing for grades with uh, some of the best and brightest people in the world. So did you, did you feel like you belonged, Matt athletically and academically when you got there? Like walk me through freshman year, you get on campus. Um, you mentioned, Hey, up until you finish your season senior year, you're going to Marquette. Um, yeah. nothing against Marquette, but you, now you're all right, I'm going to compete at football. I'm going to compete academically like did you have imposter syndrome or any sort of questioning on whether or not you belong there oh absolutely you know you, right I mean you're a 17 year old kid and it's like wait I'm gonna go play college football at Harvard like you know I kind of I got pretty full of myself I'm like man I'm just killing it right I everyone's and everyone's telling me I'm killing it and I showed up there and I was getting my butt kicked in school I was getting my butt kicked on the football field I mean it was like I'm, I was 18 years old playing against 21, 22 year old guys. You know, you're playing, you're playing line, you know, it's, it's, it's a man's game, right? I don't care. It's 22 year olds, a 22 year old. And so, I mean, looking back, it was one of the greatest blessings of, of, of my life. Um, Cause it was, it was, there was real adversity. And, and I actually thought about, uh, thought about leaving. I mean, that's how, that's how hard it was. It's just, for the, for the first time, I really thought, man, I, like, I, I can't do this. Uh, I'm not going to be able to, 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 to do this. And uh, actually, story, I, I went home for Christmas vacation, and um, I had packed everything that I brought to school, which wasn't much. I mean, we didn't have much. I brought two duffel bags to school my freshman year, and I came home with two duffel bags at Christmas. And I told my parents, I said, yeah, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to transfer. I'm going to switch. There's a a small, uh, small university, Division three, where I live. Oh, that's where all my buddies from high school were going. My old high school football coach was now the football coach there. I mean, I was basically trying to recreate high school uh, where it was easy. You know, that was my comfort zone. And, uh, and uh, my dad just kind of looked at me and he said, no, you're, you're going back. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. And, um, and this is why, you know, my dad is um, – He's uh he's a Vietnam vet, two tours, uh, you know, kind of that that tough guy. Nah, less less words, more action oriented. And I got back to school and uh, a little while after there I got a letter from my dad and he said, Hey, you know, you're 18 years old, you're you got a great college, you're playing football, a lot of great opportunities for you. When I was 18 years old, I got sent to Vietnam twice. Um, 
And uh, it was basically his way of saying like, you know, like it's time to be a man, right? It's time to toughen up and, 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 and figure out a way to, to do this. And I, I remember reading that letter right away. I was obviously, first thing that hit me was like, wow, I am, I'm so spoiled. <laughs> like that, 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 that was, that was quite a dose of perspective and reality. Uh, but it was also, you know, looking back, that, that letter was one of the pivotal kind of moments, moments in my life. It changed my, changed my attitude. I stopped feeling sorry for myself and, um, you know, realized that life, a lot of times it's, 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 it's messy. Uh, you can't control a lot of things. Um, and you just gotta, you just gotta find a way. And, uh, and that's what I did. And, you know, we all know that it's not if adversity is going to strike in life, it's when. And I think that was the first real time for me that I, that I encountered adversity, adversity. And then it was, you know, exactly the same as I alluded to when I got to the NFL, it was such a big jump from college to the pros. My first thought was, I can't do this. Like these guys are the best in the world. And I'm like, I don't even look like I belong out there. But then it was like, all right, you know, take a breath, relax. And just and just kind of start just start chipping away, you know. Just try to get a little bit better today. Try to get a little bit better tomorrow. And um, you know, nobody nobody likes to fail. But I look at the the times in my life when I, when I've failed and I've I've really I've really struggled. And um, you know, that's have going through those periods has al- has allowed me to be to be successful, right? Because those are the times where I've I've learned um, where I've had to dig deep and, and where I've had to had to figure out uh, rather quickly you know, what I need to do to, to be successful. And, um, so yeah, to, 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 that's a long way around the block of answering your question was, yeah, Harvard, Harvard was a, was a struggle and it was, and it was, it was never easy. Even, even my senior year, it wasn't easy and playing 15 years in the NFL, there wasn't an easy day in the NFL. Uh, one of my former coaches, John Harbaugh with the Baltimore Ravens, you know, football coaches love slogans, right? And they love making t-shirts too, with their slogans on them. And, uh, one of my years in Baltimore, he, he stole a slogan from the Navy SEALs and put a T-shirt in our locker and said, the only easy day was yesterday. And, uh, and, that's, and that's a great mantra. And I think a lot of times we look at successful people and we feel like, oh, man, look at them. You know, they're, they're at the top of the mountain. They figure out it, they must be, it must be smooth sailing now. It must be coasting. And it's like, no, it's, uh, it's never easy. You got to work your butt off to get there and you got to work your butt off to stay there. And so, um, you know, just, just, just knowing that uh, – Knowing that it's going to be a battle, I think, uh, I think it, at least the, the first thing, right, is it, it conditions your mind and gets you in the right mindset to, to deal with the challenges every single day. Did you love football? I, I, I did. Uh, a, a labor of love. You know, it wasn't like every day I woke up and said, oh, man, this is awesome. I get to go to a three-hour practice today. Um, and that's what football is, is it's mostly practice. But I loved, I loved the work. I loved um, – yeah, I mean, like, this is going to sound kind of weird because you hear a lot of players talk about how they just, they just love game day. And game day is incredible. It's almost like you know, there's so much adrenaline and it's almost like an out-of-body experience. But um, the weird part about me is I actually, like, loved the practice. Like, a hard practice when there's nobody – there's no fans. Nobody, nobody other than the guys out on the field know how hard this is or how, how hard it was that day. But the sense of satisfaction that I would get from, from walking off the field after a really hard day of practice, um, it's, it's, it's hard to explain. But yeah, I just, I, 
what allowed me to be successful was I fell in love with the process. I loved, I loved lifting weights. I loved training. I loved, I loved eating, <laughs> which is good for alignment. But I mean, I, I meticulously planned out everything, you know, from sleep to meals, to training, to, I mean, just everything, you know, chiropractor, massage. I, I, I love just trying to, as, as I got older in my career in the NFL, I love trying to fine tune that process. And what I looked at is I was always looking for an edge. You know, I was always looking for, I always said, Hey, you're, you're, I was a low talent guy. I still see myself in whatever I do. You know, you're a low talent guy. You got to find your edge in different areas and do things that, that other people aren't doing. And so, uh, experimenting with that, you know, reading up on the latest training techniques or, or, or diets or, or whatever it was. I just, um, I love that stuff because, uh, I, I just, I just always wanted to find out how good I could be. Um, and you know, knowing that we all have a, a ceiling, right. We all have just so much talent and then, you know, talent is, is God given, but your ability is, is man given, right. It's like, it's like, what do you do with that talent? Are you, I say, well, I'll give 110%, right? Well, you, you, you can't have more than 100% ability. And so I was, I was like, I just wanted to, when I walked away from the game, I wanted to be able to say that I did everything I could to, to maximize my ability and, and, and be as good a player as, uh, as I could be. That was, that was my thing was make sure when this is done that you can walk away with, with no regrets. Hey, Matt, you mentioned practice being a big part of football. Uh, so I read Tom Coughlin's book, Earn the Right to Win, which is a great book. And he talks about you actually get paid as a football player Monday through Saturday, and then Sunday, game day, should be free. Um, and in that book, he talked about be humble enough to prepare and confident enough to perform. And it is intriguing to me when I talk to football players because, you know, a normal season, you've got 16 regular season games, and you're spending so much time practicing, repping, watching film, working on your craft. You said you were a low talent guy. Uh, at least that's how you thought about yourself. And I can imagine that helps you Monday through Saturday. But talk to me about game day. And what was your mindset on game day? Because now you're lining up and you're going against 300 pound dudes that are high talent guys. They're freaks. I mean, these are some of the best athletes in the world. And, and we're going to talk about your transition from a tackle to a center. And I'm intrigued by that as well. But I'd be really curious. I'm really curious to learn about what was your mindset on on Sundays and what was your mindset on game day yeah it's a great question so I love that earning the right to win that was part of it for me I wanted to make sure I mean first of all game day is so stressful I mean it's you know you're gonna go out to go out there in front of 70,000 people live and millions of people watching on tv and if you screw up everyone's gonna know you screwed up um I mean that's part of it was you you, you don't want to fail on a, on a huge stage. Were you afraid of that during the week? Was there some fear of failure Monday through Saturday? Or how would you think about that? I don't want to screw up. I heard you also say, I don't want to have any regrets by the time I'm done with my career. I'm curious if fear of failure, or fear, how fear played a role, if at all. Uh, oh, yeah, it definitely plays a role. Anybody who says that, I think anybody who says they're not afraid when they step on the football field is, is a liar. One, because it's dangerous. Uh, the risks are real. And then number two, right? I mean, it's just just being on that size of a stage. So a little bit, a little bit of the fear of of failure. Um, you know, now that can be that's different degrees, right? Or different different magnitudes. I mean, we can have a fear of failure where it's just crippling. It wasn't that, but when you say earning the right to win, I mean that's a great title for a book. I wanted to make sure when I stepped out on the field that I had done everything possible that I could do to prepare. You know, watch all the film, know know all the 
the, the, the defensive looks and blitzes and dogs. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to get beat because I, you know, sloughed off. So I got in all my workouts, an extra workout every single week, watched all the film. I just, that was part of it. So when I went out there, I didn't have to have that anxiety thinking, well, I could have worked a little harder. I could have prepared a little harder. Um, that helped. I mean, that, that helped sort of keep the, the fear in, in control. And then the other thing is, was your teammates are counting on you. And that's another huge thing in football and in life, you know, that you can't let the other person down, that there's people counting on you to perform. You know, that's a big, that's a big motivator, right? It's like, and I knew I was always going to go against guys who had more talent than me. I just always felt that, but I knew that I was going to out prepare them. And so now it was, now it was even. And I'd like to think because I prepared so hard um, that, uh, that maybe, you know, maybe I just, gave an extra one or 2% out there because I put in, I put in all the work every single week and, and I wasn't going to let, uh, I wasn't going to take a playoff or let a lack of effort uh, allow me to, to get beat. Um, and so like, that was, that was my, that was my edge. That was kind of, that was my mindset, but it's still, it's still extremely, extremely stressful. Um, you know, especially for an offensive lineman, because look, I mean, we're kind of expected to be perfect. You know, if you're an offensive lineman and you play 60 plays, if you have 58 really good plays, like you block your guy, you got him, you know, good. But two plays, you give up a sack. If you give up two sacks in a game, that's a horrible game for an mm-hmm. offensive lineman. So, but, and then on the contrary, defensive lineman, if he gets two sacks, shoot, if he gets two sacks against you and a couple more sacks during the season, if he ends up with 10 sacks, he's going to be, he can be getting a $10 million a year contract, you know? So, um, that's sort of the tortured existence of, of, a, of an offensive lineman, um, which, is, which is okay, which you kind of have to embrace and say, hey, man, this is uh, – not everybody can do this. Not everybody's mentally tough enough to do that. That was another thing is I just thought, you know, no matter what, um, it's not going to be too tough for me. You see a lot of guys that come into the NFL and they just can't handle it because they're used to being the guy and they encounter adversity when they get to the league and – they just, they just don't, don't know how to deal with it because they've never had to deal with it. You know, they were the man in high school. They were the man in college. And they're not used to having to outwork people. And you know, talent, talent, there are some guys who are good enough to succeed even at the highest levels in college on talent. But talent will get you to the NFL, but nobody's good enough to rely just on talent in the NFL. You got to be able to work. And so – me being a low talent guy and being the chubby kid growing up was, was a great blessing because it taught me work ethic and it, it helped me develop a love of, of working. Um, and so that's kind of where I, as an athlete, that's where my identity was. It was never really in my performance or talent. It was more in, this is how, this is how I work. Um, and, uh, so it all just, um, you know, it all, it it all just kind of came together for me. You mentioned messing up as an offensive lineman and, and making sure that you don't do that. I, I hadn't thought about this until you mentioned it, but the idea of a running play versus a passing play and a running play, you're moving forward, a passing play, you're, you're sort of mostly moving backwards. Walk me through the mindset, especially for a center on where you're at on a running play mentally and where you're at 
mentally from a passing play. And this is more curious for me because I've had running backs, wide receivers, uh, linebackers. I've had on all kinds of different people. You're the, I think you're the first offensive lineman I've talked to. And I never would have ever played offensive line. So this is actually just pure curiosity on the mindset of uh, when you know you're about to run the ball and you're going to move forward uh, versus maybe protecting and going backwards. Yeah, well, it's, it's totally opposite. I mean, run game is all about takeoff. I mean, you, you, you got to take off. You got to come off the ball and win that uh, – win that that real estate game at the line of scrimmage you know try to try to push that guy back and he's trying to push you back and so I mean you you think of yourself as the aggressor although the defensive lineman thinks of himself the same way too uh passing yeah it's totally different you're passive you have to move backwards and here comes a guy at you full speed who's probably bigger and stronger than you a better athlete than you and somehow you got to block him I don't know if this is quite true, but one of my offensive line coaches used to tell us the toughest, the toughest thing anybody's asked to do on a football field is to pass block. Now I'll buy it because I was an offensive lineman, but a lot of people won't. Um, but it's yeah. Then then you have to, you, I mean you're you have to absorb. You're you can't initiate. You know he's going to throw a move. You've got to be able to to react to it. Um, and Matt, as a center, you've got two jobs. You got to be able to make sure you deliver the ball to the quarterback, and then you've got to shift your attention. I'm sure to hitting someone. Um, walk me through that process as a center. Once again, I just have never been in that spot. So, um, you know, is it is it that you're just present and relying off muscle memory in that instance? Is it more strategic than that? I'd, I'd just love to get inside your mind as a center. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So, you know, nobody's physically talented enough or big and just nobody can just rely on raw physical talent in the NFL. There is technique and it's, it, it's pretty nuanced in, in line play as it is at all positions. And so that was another thing was, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to just every single rep in practice, uh, I'm going to be a fanatic about my technique, which I had to be right. I wasn't, I wasn't going to overpower anybody. Um, and so Monday through Saturday, you're always thinking about your technique and practice, uh, trying to work it, you know, your hand placement, your, your step, you know, oh, that step was, you know, we'd say, we'd say like six inch step, oh, that step looked like eight inches, right? And you, all this, stuff. I mean, keep in mind, you're, you're working on your technique. There's also a 300 pound guy across from you who's about to come off the ball with bad intentions. So it's not, you can only think about technique, but you just try to hone that technique Monday through Saturday and build it into muscle memory. So then come Sunday, you weren't thinking about that, but you're, and as a center, you're, you're thinking about other things too, right? The other team, they're not just going to line up and stand there. Uh, center's job is to identify defenses, to call out blitzes, to communicate to everybody else on the line. So everybody's on the same page. Uh, you know, you, you have plays and you have rules and then you have to break your rules based on what the other team likes to do. You know, they watch film and they say, Hey, okay, if they're in this, this protection, we think they're going to be in this protection. If we run this blitz, they can't, they don't, they're not going to pick it up. So you'd say, okay, in this protection, we're going to block it. But if they give you this look, and so, you know, it's always this cat and mouse game going on and center is kind of your job to, to know all that stuff and get everybody, get everybody going the same way. We'll just say going the same way. And if you've got everybody going the same way, if everybody's doing it, then, you know, you got a chance to be successful, but if you don't identify and you don't communicate it and everybody doesn't get the call, if one guy misses the call, it's bad. It's really bad because the quarterback might think that, well, they're blitzing this guy, but I know he's picked up, but the one guy didn't get the call and he's free and now he hits the quarterback in the back of the head and it's a sack fumble. So 
that, I mean, that's another place where, where the stress comes in because uh, as a center, particularly, you're kind of responsible for other people as well. Um, and, uh, you know, again, really, really bad things can happen if you just have one bad play or one play where you don't do your job. Um, but you're exactly right. As far as the physical part, it really is about trying to build in that, that muscle memory, but also knowing that in the NFL and, and I think in life, you know, you've never like, oh, I got it. I don't need to work on that anymore. Like you're all, those, those fundamentals, this is a great, Mike Tice, who was my offensive line coach, my rookie year, he told me this, um, he said, Hey, look, he's like, you know, you're not, he's like, you got a lot of work to do, but we're going to do the same five drills every single day in our individual period. He's like, get really good at those five drills. And some of them didn't really seem to make sense. It was kind of like karate kid, you know, where Daniel's son is, you know, waxing the cars and painting the fence. And he's like, you're not teaching me anything. Right. And then Mr. Miyagi shows him, you know, I'm actually teaching you everything you need to know. Um, but Mike Tyson said, just get, and I had nothing else. I, I was just being embarrassed at practice. So I was like, well, to get really good at these five individual drills, this doesn't take any talent. So I'm just going to like, like, that's my job. My job is not to block people. My job is to master these five drills. But I did that every single day. Um, I was always, every single day, I was working on my stance and my takeoff and my leverage and my hand placement and even this. I mean, you know, so playing center, right? I mean, the most, your, your first job is to get the ball to the quarterback. If you don't get the ball to the quarterback, it doesn't matter what play is called, right? Every single day for 15 years, I went out to practice five minutes early and practiced snapping the ball to the quarterbacks. Now, that's, what, that's just what you do. That's what everybody in the NFL does. But you practice the snap every single day. And there's never, you've never watched football at home, Brian, and like hit the person next to you on the couch and say, oh my gosh, did you see how the center snapped the ball? Beautiful. That was it was beautiful. You know? I mean, yeah. how does he, you know, it never makes the top 10 plays a sports center, right? Yeah. But you notice it when it's not good, when it's on the ground or when it's over his head. And so, you know, every single day, practice snapping the football. And it's kind of human nature, right? You say, oh. I've snapped the football a million times. I know how to do that. I don't need to do it today. No, it's, I mean, the fact that you've done it for 10 years or 50, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. What matters is that you're doing it again today. And I don't know if there's something about that, right? There's something about that. Um, I don't, there's something about that that I love, right? It's like the, uh, it's, it's, it's like the story of Sisyphus, right? Who was, who was, who was sentenced to pushing the rock up the hill, right? And then every time he got the rock just to the very top, it would roll back down and he'd have to go do it again. Like, I don't know, to me, again, you know, as, as linemen, we might be a little bit off and, and, and find some weird sorts of satisfaction and even pleasure uh, in, in, in doing those, those sorts of things that nobody else finds, uh, finds appealing. But, but man, uh, I think I think that's every performer. If it's a receiver working on their footwork and and perfecting their footwork, or a linebacker really wanting to understand exactly where they need to be, uh, and we're just using football terms, a running back who's going to figure out how they can be, you know, quick but not in a hurry, and just the quarterback that's constantly trying to get it to be exactly perfect perfected and as i'm hearing you talk i've got a book called shift your mind and it was really originated from tom coughlin's concept of humble enough to prepare and confident enough to perform and my book i talk about nine mental shifts that you can make and two of them i just heard in hearing you talk which is perfecting your craft and preparation so that you can be adaptable in performance um, relying on analysis and preparation so you can rely on instinct and performance and so 
uh, to me, what I'm hearing you say is, hey, we need to analyze, make sure we're doing it right so that when I get there, I can just rely on instinct and I need to perfect, perfect, perfect so that if I need to adjust or adapt, I've seen, you know, there's this option and then there's this option or, you know, the perfectionism of the six inches and getting our footwork exactly where it needs to be so that I can adapt and adjust to whatever the defense throws our way. Um, so the ability to shift your mind from what you need to learn and grow and develop to what you need to actually execute. Um, especially in hostile, rugged environments can be different. And I would add a third part to that is be also be humble enough to uh, afterwards look, look at your performance and see, see where you can do better. And part of that is just realizing that you're never going to be perfect, you know, and that's okay. I mean, you put in maximum effort, you do everything you can. And then Monday morning, we go into the film room as football players and we watch the film and you watch it with your peers. And, you know, if you do your job, the coach will look at the film and he'll say, okay, good job. Now, the next play, you don't do your job. He's going to spend two minutes in front of your peers critiquing you on what you should have done or what you could have done better. And as a football player, you know, it always comes down to fundamentals. If you get beat, it's always because you're a breakdown in these fundamentals. And so your coach is going to tell you, see, your, your step was too long or you see you're too high. And if after you're in the NFL for all, you know all this, right? Like, you know this. And a lot of guys will sit there and they either say, or young players say, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can and I'm just not getting, they get frustrated and they can't take coaching. Or as veteran players get older, they don't want to take coaching because they already know it, right? But to be humble enough to take the coaching, understand that, yeah, okay, great. You know, I, I'm given 100% and my performance is not, you know, it's not perfect. It might not be good enough. It might not have been good enough yesterday. And be able to take that and say, okay, that, you know, take that coaching, take that input, and then go out on the practice field and say, all right, here we go. You know, fundamental period, same drills, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm going to really be present. Like, I'm going to really focus on this and, and, try, and not just go through the motions. So I think right. that, that's something that coachability is so big in life um, and, and, and like so big, even in the NFL, where you're talking about the best of the best. So humility and preparation, massive, learn, grow, develop. Here's the part where I really want to dive into with you, though. You are a sixth round pick out of Harvard, where guys typically don't go from Harvard and play in the NFL. You're switching from playing offensive tackle to center, a different position, and you're doing it for your hometown team. And so... Here's the deal. For people that don't know your story, Matt was a six-time Pro Bowler, a two-time All-Pro, played in the league for 15 years, as you mentioned earlier, won a Super Bowl. It's not like you're some journeyman backup you know, offensive lineman in the NFL, Matt. You thrived um, in the NFL. I mean, you were, uh, as centers go, if you asked me to name you know, 10 centers in the last 20 years, your name would pop up pretty quickly in my head. So, I, I really want to understand when you are between the lines and you are doing your job, because for me, what I've noticed is humility and preparation massive. When I've studied elite performers, they often have an arrogance about them in performance. And arrogant is a word that often triggers people and makes them feel uncomfortable. But for me, arrogance is just an exaggerated sense of self and ability and capacity. I'm sure there were people along the way that said, Matt, there's no way you could play for the Vikings. Are you kidding? You weren't even able to play at the 
you know, for the University of Minnesota. Now you think you can play in the NFL or you're a sixth round pick, dude. Who do you think you are to start at center? Or you're 34, 35, 36 years old. You think you're going to start on the Baltimore Ravens and, and win a Super Bowl? I'm sure there are other people that with your talent wouldn't have had the self-belief when they're between the lines on game day to believe that they could compete and perform at the level you did. So I just want to go a little bit underneath and try to understand on game day what your mindset was to be able to compete at that level and not just at that level, but to excel. I mean, you were elite of the elites. Um, and, and so that's the part that I'm, I'm just so curious about. Uh, well, yeah. So I, I yeah, arrogance is, is, I wouldn't call it arrogance, but I would say, you know, if anybody were to tell me, you know, you, you're not good enough to do that. I would say, look, it doesn't take any talent to lift weights. It doesn't take any talent to not go out and go to bed early. It doesn't take any talent to, it really doesn't take any talent to snap a ball between your legs or stay low. Or it really, it really comes down to want to. And some of it's toughness. I think all toughness starts with mental toughness, physical toughness. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll concede the other guys bigger, stronger, better looking, whatever, you know, looks better in the uniform, all those things. But I'm never going to concede that the other guy is tougher than me. You know, and, and football is that game and line play, right? It's it, essentially it comes down to like, you know, man whoop a man. Um, and am I willing to snap and come off the ball as hard as I can and, you know, stay low and get my head across or pull around and, 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 you know, know that, hey, this is going to hurt, right? I mean, right before that point of contact, you find out, like, which guy you pull around the end and you're pulling and here comes the middle linebacker and everybody's running full speed. But you can see right at the point of contact, like, who's, who's all in and who isn't, right? And I'm like, that's not talent, right? That's just want to. And when I talk about wanting to walk away and just knowing that I gave it everything I had, you know, that was it. Like, I'm going to come around. I'm going to try to hit that guy uh, with 100% of everything I have. Um, and so I would never – I wouldn't call it arrogance for me, but I was never going to concede that anybody was was tougher than me. Now, they might be. I mean, they, they, they might whoop me, but it wasn't going to be because I was beat right before before the play ended. And so, so – so Matt, so beautiful. So, so toughness was an identity for you that you grabbed hold of. I'm curious, there's two other pieces of identity that I'm really curious about with you. Number one is intelligence. So uh, did you feel like you had an unfair advantage by watching film and studying the game and knowing where everyone would be and your ability to remember uh, the plays and remember, you know, exactly what was going to happen, intelligence. And then the other part in, in learning about you is faith. You mentioned growing up in a religious household, you've been pretty open about Catholicism and, and faith playing a role. So I'm curious about intelligence and faith and if you leverage those on game day and if they helped you, um, you know, as a performer, I'm sure they help you in other areas of your life as well, but I'm curious as a performer, if those played a role yeah, as well. I think so. So intelligence. Yeah. I mean, being switched to center again, I look back, it was the best thing for me because there, there is, an intelligence factor with center that's higher and than other positions. Like I said, you got to know the game plan inside out. You got to know what everybody else is doing. You got to be able to identify it quickly and communicate. And if you're playing in Lambeau field or, uh, or soldier field, like communication can be, uh, it's a challenge, you know? So, um, you know, for me, right. Again, going back to wh what are my talents being able to 
learn things quickly, you know, read it once or see it once or be told it once and, and know it and commit it to memory. And every week you're kind of starting over because there's a new game plan, a new defense you're playing, a new, new dog and blitz package. So yes, playing center played to my strengths from that, uh, from that perspective. And so, uh, and, 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 and I liked, I liked having that responsibility of, I, I liked knowing that, you know, my left tackle who's six, eight, 340 pounds and can dance like a bear, uh, and he's a shutdown left tackle, but he's relying on me to tell him what we're doing. I, I, I like that. I, I actually, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and again, that speaks to also not just, not just, I think, intelligence, but the desire and love of preparing. And then uh, my faith as well, which uh, I grew in my faith while in the NFL, um, being raised uh, in the church, but then, you know, college, falling away, right? Getting, getting involved in other things and having a bunch of worldly success and kind of maybe football became, definitely became too much part of, of my identity, but getting reconnected to my faith and growing in it in the NFL um, certainly helped because I knew that ultimately that my identity as a person was not tied to my performance as a football player or even being a football player. And that did, I think, help free me up and allowed me to play at a higher level and play for a longer period of time because I, because it wasn't, it, football wasn't the number one thing in my life. And so that did help relieve some of the pressure with, with performance. I would like to say this about faith and the NFL, which a lot of people don't realize. And a lot of people are surprised to learn is that the locker room is a very spiritual place. You say it, people are like, what are you talking about? Like, I watch games, you know, you got these guys, right? A lot of them are big personalities and they're out there, they're yapping and they're, you know, they're getting up after plays and celebrating and you see them in interviews and they're, you know, they're, they're, they seem like fun loving and, and big personalities and all that. But when you're in the locker room, I mean, football's dangerous, right? Football hurts. I was actually on the field once when a guy in practice, when one of my teammates passed away, like it's, it's real, it's, it's real. And, uh, and then you're going on that big stage and all that stuff. And so uh, what they say, there's, there's, there's no atheist in a foxhole. Uh, in, in, in the locker room, it's, it's not quite to that degree, but, but it's sort of the same thing. But every football team I ever played on, high school, college, and professional, you know, we said a prayer before or after the game. Uh, we had team chaplains. We had Bible studies like three, four times a week that players could go to. We'd have a couple study once a week at somebody's house. We had Catholic priests come to the hotels morning of, of games and, and say mass in the hotel. And it's a really important part of a lot of guys' lives because they know that this is really hard, what we're doing. This, this journey that I'm on individually, what I'm like, you know, you're, it's, there's high highs and there's low lows. And I think all of us as human beings, and I know that a majority of people are Christians, we're, we're, we're always, right, as human beings, we're always longing for what's real. And, you know, the NFL, it's not real. I mean, the money's not real. All the fame, you know, it's like I always say when I was playing football, you know, I go to a party, I tell a joke, everybody laughs really loud. It's like, I know I'm funny, but I'm not that funny. You know, I mean. That was it, pretty funny, Matt. That was yeah, a pretty thanks. funny joke. <laughs> I mean, actually, I am pretty funny. Uh, but, you know, none of it's real. And, and, and like, you know that. Like, deep down, we, we all know that. I mean, no, who's worth $10 million a year, you know? Nobody is, um, but that's but that's the this crazy world uh, of the NFL, and so um, I think just pe people are people are always because because they don't see that side of it. Um, they're not in the locker room, but 
But because of, because of all these things, actually playing football in the NFL lends itself to, I think, growing in your, in your faith, um, whatever that is. And a lot of the resources, I mean, there's, there's a lot of Christian uh, undertones even in, in the history of football and, and a lot of the coaches and a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the guys that, that play it. So that's, that's an interesting aspect that obviously doesn't, doesn't get advertised, um, but that it, uh, it's, it's, it's very, very real. Even even beyond religion, I've been amazed being in locker rooms at the different energies that people need to get themselves ready to perform. You have guys that are meditating, guys that are listening to rap music and cursing and jumping up and down, guys that are just sitting there, you know, still, um, guys that are laughing, guys that are serious. And I think one of the mistakes we make is to assume that everyone just needs to be pumped up and going crazy. Like some guys that might need to work for, but a lot of pros that I've worked with, they say, Hey, I just want to be still. I want to be clear. I want to be focused uh, and get themselves ready to go. You played on a Super Bowl winning team. You also mentioned your rookie year playing on a team that went 15 and one. What did you notice in your 15 years uh, that were commonalities amongst elite teams and, and high performing teams? Uh, I think that you in football, you have 53 guys on your roster and you've got like defensive backs who for the most part are guys listening to rap music and jumping around and yelling and screaming. And then you got offensive linemen who don't say a word right on game day. Um, it's sort of that. I think there's just a, there's just a common mutual respect among everybody to know that like you're different than me. You know, you have a different routine. You're a different person. Whatever. Uh, I'm gonna respect you, your your personality. You know, but like, I'm gonna I want you to be you, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna respect that, and 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 you respect me. And it's just kind of funny, right? I look at corporate America and all of the you know, whatever different kinds of trainings that go on with you know diversity training and inclusion and all these all these things. And you look at all the kind of the arguments that we're having in society. And it's funny. I mean, on a football team, you've got white guys, black guys, brown guys, you know, you've got Christians, you've got, I do have some atheists, you've got Muslims. I mean, you got all these guys and big guys and they're all coming together. And it's like, because we all know what the goal is, we don't need to talk about respect. We don't need to go through any kind of training. Um, it's like, it's, it's like, it was never really an issue on any team I played on and, and on the great ones, I mean, guys really did. There was a, um, there was just kind of this, and the tone is set by the leaders. It's by the head coach and the, and the leaders, the players on the team. But you know, there's, uh, you just, you, you kind of let guys, you let guys be themselves with, with the understanding that, uh, you know, everybody kind of needs to, everyone kind of needs to do their own thing. And as, as long as you step out there and, and your mind is right and ready to go come kickoff, like it's, it's all good. And, um, that's always the thing that amazes me that, you know, football's the, it's the most team game that, that there is. And so I think guys that have, have played it. I mean, when, when I look at work with, with companies or groups in, in corporate America, it's amazing how hard it is to get people to sort of pull together. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, you live in this world and, and uh, it's just, it's kind of amazing to me because as football players, I don't know if, if that's just the kind of people we are, or it just, it just becomes second nature to us playing, playing the game. But um, being able to, to respect everybody is, is just never an issue. And that's not to say it's like harmony. I mean, harmony doesn't really exist in the locker room because 
you have 53 guys, most of them are alpha males. So you, you're going to have, you're going to have disagreements and you're going to have physical altercations. Um, but, uh, but that's okay. Right. It's like, it's like a family. You have arguments, you have, you, 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 you have it out and then you, and then you, and then you move on. And that speaks to the respect that, that everybody has for each other because everybody knows what price the other guy is paying to be here and to try to try to help the team win. And if a guy's not, if he's not paying the price, if he's not being a pro off the field, if he's not practicing hard, then, you know, normally the GM or the coach will get rid of him. So I want to close by getting a sense of what's over your shoulders because uh, we're recording this. Uh, we're only going to let the audio out so that no one else is going to see the video, but there's a couple things just over your shoulder. So I'd love for you to share uh, what is over your shoulder and uh, why it's hanging on the wall? Well, I mean, uh, it's hanging on the wall because I had to hang something on the wall. And <laughs> it just happens to be, I don't do a lot of Zoom interviews on my desk, but um, in the middle here, this is, a, uh, this is a, a Juris Doctorate degree from Ave Maria Law School. So I'm a lawyer. Uh, no, I'm really not a lawyer, but I spoke at their, uh, <laughs> their graduation, their commencement, and uh, it's a beautiful you know, Juris Doctor, well framed and everything. So, so I hung that up. Uh, here's a little something that I got for for being named Walter Payton Man Man of the Year. And and you can't see it, but over on this wall right here, proof. There is there is my Harvard diploma. There you go. It was sitting in storage for about uh, oh 20 years until I got this office and my wife pulled it out and said, "You should hang this on the wall." And so I did that. I don't, I don't really meet too many clients in my office. It's more just a workspace. So uh, I said, yeah, why not? I can, I can hang up my, my Harvard diploma. <laughs> and that, what's the thing that's taped to the wall? There's like a circle, a gold circle. Oh, there. this is, this is really cool. So there's a football coach here locally, Glenn Caruso. You should have him on the program, Brian, this guy, uh, very successful division three football coach. So successful. They got kicked out of their conference and now they're going to go division one. Uh, <laughs> But this is this is kind of the circle, the circle of, of life, or whether you're talking about a team or an individually, there's a gold circle in the that is kind of the, the, the stages. Okay. So you start, so it's you're at the top of the circle. you let's say this is this is like the pinnacle of success. So what comes next? Well, it's human nature to get complacent and then to have apathy, right? For the process or or whatever, dependence, and then bondage. And then you hit rock bottom. And then, so how do we get out of rock bottom? Well, it starts with faith, your know, belief that I can do this. You move to liberty. You, know, you sort of become free from whatever the obstacles were, either real or, or imagined or self-imposed. You get to courage, you know, to really lean in, I think, and, and give it everything you have. And then abundance. And this is kind of the, this is kind of the fight. If you look at it with a team or, or anybody in, in their career or, with their relationships or whatever, this is this is a, I thought this was a really powerful uh, illustration because um, you know if you if you think about it right, these are kind of the like, like we're always in the circle, you know, like nothing's ever static, and so we're always kind of moving around here, and uh, it's just it's just a great reminder that um, you know, that you've never you've never arrived, you're never you're never done, and you've always kind of got a you've always got a, you've always got a battle to fight, and to me that's um, that's, that's, that's a healthy mindset to have. 
think that's a beautiful place for us to to wind down here. Uh, if people want to learn more about what you're up to, where can they find you? Uh, I know you're active on LinkedIn, um, but also you've got some new things that you're working on. So just share a little bit more about yourself and where people can learn more about what you're up to. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I guess my day job is, is Matt Burke and Company. Uh, we do a lot of uh, public speaking and and corporate trainings and consulting and those types of things. Uh, lucky to just have a, have a great team there. And then I uh, took a role with a startup company and our inaugural product for football fans out there, uh, our inaugural product is called Super Squares. And it's a really fun, free, simple to play uh, game that's uh, it's a live mobile TV game show, essentially. You play it on your phone. And uh, if anybody is familiar with the old football squares game, which 100 million people know how to play, uh, it's kind of a spinoff of that, but but a lot more fun, and and we're going to be launching this uh, this NFL season in just a, just a few days. We're going to launch the product, and uh, it's not just an entertainment game, but it's also an, a really it's an entirely new ad platform, um, and so we're we're excited about that, and and that's been that's been a lot of fun. You know, playing football is hard. Trying to get a startup off the ground is uh, is even harder in. Uh, in a lot of ways, because uh, there's a lot of days where you feel like you want to hit somebody, but you can't because you're not playing football. So I uh, would, would, would love anybody listening who's a football fan who's going to watch NFL games to, to download the Super Squares app and play along. Awesome. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, and you can go to my website, website strongskills.co and learn more about what we're up to. Matt, great to get to know you. Great to chat with you. Uh, looking forward to maybe meeting you in person whenever this pandemic uh, starts to and go away at some point. Uh, looking forward to that. Absolute pleasure, Brian, and enjoy your work a lot. Keep, keep doing good. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. And I knew I was always going to go against guys who had more talent than me. I just always felt that. But I knew that I was going to help prepare them. And so now it was, now it was even. And I'd like to think because I prepared so hard that, uh, that maybe – you know, maybe I just gave an extra one or two percent out there because I put in I put in all the work every single week and and I wasn't gonna let uh, I wasn't gonna take a playoff or let a lack of effort uh, allow me to to get beat um, and so like that was that was my that was my edge that was kind of that was my mindset. <laughs>